Grab your bulletins out. Inside those bulletins are some follow-along notes. We're going to get right into the message this morning. Today, we're continuing our series entitled, Valleys. The truth is, we all in our life face valleys and battles at some point. I shared this with you before, but there's only three types of people in this room. There are those of you who are in the midst of a valley or a battle right now. There are those of you who are just coming out of a valley or a battle. Or there are those of you, and I don't mean to bring discouragement to you, but you will be facing a valley or a battle some point in the future. We all face battles. We all face valleys. But even though we face valleys and and battles, I believe the prophetic word has already went through our worship time through Pastor Casey that God is still a God of breakthrough. That God is still a God of breakthrough. I love what the famous passage that most of us know, Psalms 23 says, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil. I love that word through because what it tells me is even though I may go through it, that I will get through it and it will be a moment when I get to the other side. It's a reminder that we don't have to camp out in the valley, that God will bring us through. It's a reminder of breakthrough. The Bible says this, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Today I want to look at a Bible passage found in 2 Chronicles chapter chapter 20. As you're turning there, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, let me give you a little bit of the background. In this chapter, we're introduced to a king named King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of a kingdom of Judah. From what we know about Jehoshaphat, he was a good and a noble king. The author of the book of Chronicles, first and second Chronicles, it gives us a chronicle of the different kings over Jerusalem and over Judah. When he chronicles the life of King Jehoshaphat, generally he is a praise to be a very good king. He states that the kingdom enjoyed great measure of peace and prosperity under this King Jehoshaphat. That the blessing of God rested upon God's people under this king. Jehoshaphat became king at the age of about 35. He reigned for 25 years, and he spent most of the first part of his reign solidifying and fortifying his kingdom. More importantly, he began to refocus the people of God on the one true God. He began to tear down places of idol worship, and he began to refocus the people of God and their attention to the one true God. God. By the time we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 19, the kingdom that he is overseeing is prospering. They're doing well. They're being set in order. And they're going through a wonderful season. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a problem seems to arise. It appears that King Jehoshaphat and and the kingdom of Judah are about to go through a great valley season in their life. They're about to face a battle. There's an impending battle, and the odds are stacked against them. And the first thing I want you to learn in your notes this morning is, have you ever noticed that battles often come before breakthrough? 
that we are going to have breakthrough, but in order to have breakthrough, sometimes it requires a battle. There is no victory without a war. And so I want us to see in this passage that battles come before breakthrough. That's where we find ourselves in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with the Minyanites, and the Cellulites. There's, uh, the, whoa, that's not in there. If it was in there, Cellulites, you could say they were surrounded on every side. <laughs> Stop that right now. Let's get back to surrounded. I like that. Surrounded on... After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Minyanites came to Jehoshaphat for battle. We're doing good, and now all of a sudden we're facing a battle. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming up against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Here they are, and they're facing a valley season. They've been doing what is right, and now all of a sudden they're facing a battle. Not only are they facing a battle, they're facing impossible odds. You see there that they name off three different armies coming against one nation. All around them, they are surrounded. On top of that, it says this, that the armies are in this place called En Gedi. Well, you would pass right over that, except for if you were to take a map and you would look at it in that time, it meant that they were only 15 miles away. It'd be kind of like saying, hey, there's three armies coming against you, and they're already past downtown Houston, and they'll be here. You better pray for traffic, because at any moment, it suddenly is coming upon you. Here they are, not much warning. A battle is on the horizon. Three against one odds. A suddenly is about to occur in their life, a sudden battle. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? All seems to be good. You're trying to follow the Lord, and out of nowhere a battle arises. The doctor's report, the marriage that falls into shambles, the depression that also oftentimes starts to kick in, the anxiety, the fear, the financial situation, the kids start going crazy all of a sudden. Anybody have any of those? Don't say a word. Don't say a word, especially if they're in the room with you today. Addiction begins to take hold. All of a sudden, you were doing okay. And it seems like right around the corner, you're about to face a battle. It's on the horizon. Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah were faced with a big battle. 15 miles away, at any moment, they're going to be surrounded. King Jehoshaphat must have been wondering, what in the world is going on? God, I'm trying to follow you. I have even refocused your people back on you as the one true God. On top of that, the people, the Bible says the Moabites were one of the groups that were coming against them. This is exactly the people that God, when he had delivered the children of Israel out of bondage and Egyptian slavery and began to give the promised land, the Moabites were one of the groups that he said, don't touch them, don't destroy them, leave them just as they are. Have you ever felt like, God, not only am I facing a battle, it's because you let me face this battle. They could have destroyed them, but now that one that God said, don't destroy this particular clan, all of a sudden now they are facing them in battle. They're doomed for destruction. 
And it was God who allowed the Moabites to remain and stay strong in the first place. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed by your circumstance? Worse than that, has it ever seen that God himself put you right there in the middle of that own terrible circumstance? Perhaps it even felt like God himself was against you. What do you do when you face a valley? What do you do when you face a battle? And your notes this morning, first of all, I want you to see that when you're facing a battle, you need to make prayer your first priority. When you're facing something in life, is prayer your first priority or your last resort? God, I'm going to get it all figured out. I'll fi- and then if I can't figure it out, then I'll turn to you. No, we need to make prayer our first priority. I heard one preacher this week, I was listening to a message, he said this, I liked it. He said, how about you take it to the throne before you take it to your phone? Ha! I like that. Oh. He said, before you take it to the phone, take it to the throne. I like that. I think I can one-up him, though. How about that? I wrote down, before you hit up Instagram, go to the great I am. Woo! I like that. Tweetable. Huh? But where do you turn when your world turns upside down? Kind of cheesy phrases, but aren't they true? We turn to him in prayer. When Jehoshaphat was faced with an impending battle, 15 miles away, three enemy armies, the first thing he does is he prays. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3 and 4 says this. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and what did he do? He set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to what? Seek help from the Lord. And from all the city of Judah, they came to what? Seek the Lord. The enemy is right on their doorstep, doomed for destruction. What does Jehoshaphat not do? He doesn't call on other armies to come and help him. He doesn't assemble his generals and say, hey, we've got to come up with a battle plan. He doesn't call on all of his armies to start to make a a wall surrounding the city. He doesn't Google or check out WebMD. Anybody say amen to that? He doesn't look at YouTube to see if Oprah or if Dr. Phil has an episode on what he is facing so that he can learn what to do. The first thing he does is he goes to God in prayer. It says he goes to God and all of Judah with him to seek help from the Lord. But check this out. Not only seek help from the Lord, it goes on to say to seek the Lord. Do you see the distinction there? God, I don't only want your hand of help. I need you all in my life. He says, not only am I seeking the hand of the Lord, I am seeking the Lord. If we would start to seek the face of the Lord, the hand of the Lord would just step in on our behalf. If we would just get to know him as our good, good father, all of a sudden we just walk in the favor of the father and he works. And so not only did they seek help from the Lord, they sought the Lord. It's important to see. Before, during, and after the valley, seek the Lord. So his first priority was prayer. I want us to notice a few things about his prayer. 
When you pray, first of all, I want you to see this. Remember God's power. Verse 5 goes on to say, again, they're faced with this enemy. They begin to seek the Lord. And the first part of his prayer says this. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, verse 6, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You're powerful. Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand are what? Power and might, and none could withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? As soon as Jehoshaphat begins to pray, the first thing he is reminded of is God's power. He knew that the three against one odds, he had no strength to be able to withstand the battle or go through the valley. He needed the power of God. I don't know what you're facing. Some folks in this place, I bet you are facing some stuff that you just, you just never wanted to face. But can I tell you, you still have a God who is powerful. When you seek him in prayer, remember his power. I love what the Bible says about God's power. It says he is omnipotent, omnipotent, that he is all powerful. That word means having unlimited power, able to do anything. He has no limitations. He is a God of power. And six people were supposed to say amen. Yeah, you may be going through the valley. The battle may seem impossible. That word cancer keeps creeping up, but God is still more powerful. That word, that relational conflict, it's real, but God is still more powerful. That faith, it may be failing, but God is still a God of power. I've shared this illustration before, but I love it. It's absolutely a beautiful picture of the power of God that is available to us if only we would ask. Do we ask him and believe him that his power will come on our behalf? The illustration goes like this. It's a little boy, and he's walking along with his father, and he has a little red wagon. And in that wagon, it's weighted down with different items, and they start to go up a hill. And the little boy is struggling as he's trying to go up the hill because it's a little too heavy for his little arms to carry. And his dad is walking there with him, and he has a moment where he says, listen, son, I'm going to teach you a lesson here. And he asks the son, he says, son, do you think you can pull this wagon up the hill? The, dad, the boy says, dad, I don't know. It's too heavy. I don't think I have enough strength. He says, you can do it, son. All you have to do is use all the power that is available to you. The little boy starts to strain. My dad said, I can do it. All I have to do is use the power available to, and he pulls harder, but he's not making a lot of progress. Again, the second time the dad says, son, you can make it. You can pull this. It's not too heavy of a burden. All you have to do is use all the power available to you. Again, the little boy strains with all of his might. Dad said, I can do it. I just have to use all my power that is available. But he still is unable to get it up the hill. Third time, the dad says, I don't think you understand, son. I'm here with you. And your dad loves you. 
I want you to hear me very clearly. All you have to do is use all the power that is available to you. And all of a sudden, something clicked in that little mind. And he said, okay, Dad, would you help me how? And all of a sudden, the dad grabs a hold. And that thing that used to be a burden was no problem for the dad. And there he started to carry. All he had to do was ask because the father had unlimited power. But sometimes we're like that little boy. I can do it on my own. And he said, I'm your good, good father. It's more than a song. If you would only let me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let me carry the burden on your behalf. You don't have to strain. You don't have to keep trying. Why don't you start trusting? Remember that God is a God of power. When we pray, another thing, remember not only God's a God of power, that he is a God of promises. In his prayer, Jehoshaphat goes on to say, he speaks of the power of God. Aren't you the one who was mighty and brought us into this land? But then he goes on to remember the promises of God. Verse 7, did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You promised this land to us. Goes on, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of what? Your possession, which you have given to us to inherit it. Hey, God, you're the one that promised it. Not only is it going to be your, prom, your, your power that walks us through this battle we're about to face and through this valley, it is also your promise that we stand on. I think as a church, and I'm not talking about just our church, but the church universal, we have lost the understanding of the power of proclaiming the promises of God. What has God promised? If he said it, the Bible said he will do it. The Bible says that God's word is yes and amen. You know what that word amen means? So be it. If he said it, he, will do. he says, let everybody else be a liar. God's word remains true. He promises it. He will fulfill that which he promises. Did you know, according to one source, there are over 3,573 3, promises in the Bible? For example, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 says that he will give rest to you. Anybody use some rest this week? Not just physical rest, but rest, the Bible says, for your soul. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul, it goes on to say. So I was writing this message this week. I felt so strongly that that was for somebody in this place. I want to speak over you. I want you to receive it because you have been that little person just trying to pull up. And he says, man, if you will let my power, if you will rely on my promise, I want to promise you that I'll give you a rest. I feel so strongly. I believe there's going to be some people who emailed me this week. Cwitten at lpfellowship.com because I want to hear that, man, when I walked out of this room, I went to my house and I rest. I, some of you are going to sleep like a little baby. Why? Because rest is tied to trust. The enemy has been just messing with your mind. But his promise says, if you're weary, come, and I will give rest to your soul. The Bible goes on, and he tells us in Philippians 4 and 19, he will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. 
Romans 8, he promises nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God. It's a promise. The greatest promise of all is salvation. Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the starting point on this journey. Somebody, before you leave out of this place, you need to rest in the promise of his salvation by admitting, I need you. Believing he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, God in the flesh, never sinning once, but taking our sins so that when we confess him as Lord, he becomes our salvation. An incredible promise. You want to know about some of the promises of God? I encourage you to do a word search on the Jehovah names of God. Listen, the Bible says he is our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. The Bible says he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Elohim, Elohim the Lord our lords. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, he is there. No matter what we're going through, he is there. The Bible says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? In that original text, that was like saying he is A was their first letter. Omega would have been their last letter. So he's saying he is your A to Z and everything in between. He has power and he has given promises. Start standing. When you pray, remember his power, but also remember his promises. Another thing, approach God with a humble posture. So here he is, God, uh, there's this battle. Jehoshaphat comes to God. He reminds God of his power. He remembers his promises. But look at how he approaches God with a humble posture. Verse 12, oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? Will you not fight on our behalf? Listen, for we are powerless. It's not, we're not strong enough. We humble ourselves. We realize that. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming up against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have you ever been there? God, I don't even know what to do. I'm going through a valley. I'm going through a battle. I don't know what to do, but I do know this. My eyes are fixed on you. That's a posture of humility. I don't have to have it all figured out because my eyes are fixed on you him. See, oftentimes in our battle, our pride and our self-reliance kicks in. We're like that little boy, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. He says, you don't have to. I'll fight the battle for you. If you would just humble yourself, it's in that place of weakness that you actually become strong because my strength is revealed on your behalf. A lot of times we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on him. It's proper posture. What does it tell us? Humility and dependency. I don't know what you're facing, but I can tell you that most likely you can't figure it out on your own. If you could have figured it out on your own, it's not really a battle, is it? You would have already won the battle. But when we're in a battle, we come to him with a humble posture that, God, I am trusting. The Bible says this, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
I love what Andrew Murray says. He says, humility is the displacement of self and then enthronement of God. God, I put you in authority. I realize that I can't do it on my own. And it's in his weakness that we find strength. Another thing when you pray, trust that God has a plan. Stand firm and watch God deliver you with his power. Jehoshaphat says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, we know that you still have a plan. God, Jeremiah 29, 11, your plan is to prosper, not to harm. Your plan is a hope and a future. God, I don't know why I'm going through a battle. I don't know why the enemy is coming all against me, but God, our eyes are on you. And then God answers him in verse 15. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid. Somebody needs to hear that. Don't be afraid. Yeah, all hell's breaking loose, but don't be afraid. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid, for the battle is yet yours, but it is God's. Verse 17, you will not even need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. And check this out, though. Tomorrow, go out against it. Hold up. Go out against him? Lord, you just said that the battle's not mine. I don't have to be afraid because you're going to fight for me. I think I'll just stay inside and watch some, some HDTV. Let me know how that goes, God. Get back with me. Give me a text. Hit me up on Messenger. You're going to fight for me? Go ahead. He says, I'm going to fight for you. You're not even going to have to take your sword out of the sheath. All you're going to have to do is be still and know that I'm God, stand firm. But he says, I still want you to get up tomorrow morning and go out to battle. Doesn't make no sense. Sometimes it is God that's fighting for us, but it's us that is walking in obedience and taking action to that which he calls us to. We step out in faith, and then we sit back and watch God step up in his faithfulness. The Bible says, tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And facing the battle, remember, God still has a plan. Trust his plan. Step out in faith. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. What step of faith is he calling you to? Step into it. And then stand firm knowing that God is faithful. That it is God who is going to fight for you. Somebody in this room needs to hear these words. Be still and know that he is God. You're about to try. You're, so, you're trying in your own strength so much, you're about to make a mistake. He just says, hey, Relax. I got this. Yeah, you're going to go through a battle, but don't forget, I'm with you. I'm omnipotent. I'm all-powerful. I'm omnipresent. I'm right there in the middle with you. Do not be afraid. Take a step of faith, but let me be the one who shows himself faithful. When we pray, finally, I want you to see this. Don't forget the power of praise. As you read through this whole 
chapter of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I would encourage you to do that. Just take this whole entire passage, this 37 verses, and read it and digest it. But you see that Jehoshaphat and the king and all the people of, Jeho- uh, of Judah, they praise God. And I want you to notice they praise him before, during, and after the battle. Before they ever went out to, to war, verse 18. In verse 17, we just said, hey, get up tomorrow morning, go out to war, I'm going to fight for you. Before they ever get up in the morning, lace up their shoes, go out to the battlefield, listen to what they say. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Korites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. Before they ever went in the battle, they were praising him. I want you to see something else, not only before, but during. It goes on to say they go out to the battlefield, and it says in verse 21, And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire, as they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing praises, the Lord sent ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Talk about the importance of praise. I don't know if any of you have been in the armed forces, but if you have a group of generals and they sit down for a battle plan, Usually the thing that you want to do when you're going, they, they call it the, the, the spear, right? The, the, the front men. Usually the people you want to send first into the battle are the most rugged and rough individuals to fight the battle first. It's not the way they do it in this. The Bible says that they send out the choir boys first, right? If you're a choir boy, don't make, hey, I was in choir. I mean, I stopped it in sixth grade, if you were, I mean, but still. It says those who were in worship attire were the first ones to go out. How in the world? It was because they knew the battle was not winnable in and of themselves. They might as well rely on the Lord. See, it's one thing to worship God before. God, I'm trusting you. It's a little bit hard, but... It's real easy once we've won the victory. But what about worshiping him in the middle of the process? That is when you really know who is the praiser. God, I'm still facing this, but not only before, but right in the middle of it, I am going to worship you because I know it's a vulnerable thing, but it's a valuable thing. Want to go through the valley? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and and 1, Faith chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. God, I am trusting you even though I don't see it yet, and I'm still going to praise you. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith is impossible to please God. Do you have faith to praise him before, in the middle, and during the impossible situation? Finally, after God wins the victory. God shows up. The Bible says, the story goes on to say that He confuses the enemy armies and they turn on each other. It's a common theme throughout the Old Testament. The children of Judah, who were outnumbered, didn't even have to take out the swords. God caused so much confusion that the enemy armies began to fight each other. 
Now they come and they find themselves on the edge of the valley where the battle was. And the Bible says there's enemy armies just thrown left and right because God had fought for them. And they were very quick after the fact to remember it was God and bless him after the battle. Verse 26, on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barak. For they were there, they blessed the Lord. Verse 27, then they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Verse 28, they came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, trumpets to the house of the Lord. They were worshiping God. When they were delivered, they were quick to give God the praise. God, it was you that helped us up that hill. It was you that walked us through that valley. It was you, and God, we praised you before, we praised you during, and we'll not forget to praise you because you were the one who brought us through. We go through a valley, but today we're talking about breakthrough because it doesn't mean that there's not another side, that you get on the other side and you're still praising the faithfulness of the Father. This past week, just on Friday... I was able to go and visit one of the precious ladies, a senior adult here, part of LifePoint Fellowship. And I was visiting her after at her home after she had had a procedure done this week. And she had a procedure that wasn't something anybody would want to hear. But in the midst of that procedure, they found out something that was even a more difficult thing that was going on in her physical body. And I was sitting with her, and here you are hearing somebody who was already going through a battle, and now their battle is intensified. And I began to hear her as she began to say, listen, I know that I'm about to face a battle, but it's okay. I can praise the Lord anyway. Right now, I'm in the middle of a valley. I'm right on the cusp of another valley. But I know that my God is faithful. And she began to recall times where she was growing up as a kid in Jamaica. And now, now she's had uh, kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and all these people. And she said, listen, I know God was faithful back then. I know that God has been faithful in my present. And God, I don't understand it, but I know and I will praise you still. And by the time I went to encourage her, I left encouraged saying, man, what faith to praise in the middle of a process. He says, in this world, you will have troubles and tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm making intercession for you. God is a God of breakthrough. I love this, and we'll finish here. God has the power to turn your battles into blessings, into breakthroughs. So God fights for them. He causes the enemy to turn on each other. Not only did he deliver, he turns the battle into blessing. I will just briefly say this, but in verse 25, he says, after the enemy had destroyed themselves, that there was a bunch of plunder and spoil, that they went and it took them three days to carry all the goods back that were. This battle turned into a blessing. You may face a battle, but when God's done, he can deliver you in a big way. Final thing I want you to hear, and this is back in verse 20. I love the New Living Translation. In this series, Valleys, listen and be ready because God's about to, man, I love this. Verse 20, it says this. Actually, verse 26. 
On the fourth day, they gathered at the valley. Listen to the name of the valley. The Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. I don't know your valley. I don't know your battle. But he can turn your battle into blessing. He can help you to walk in breakthrough. Ultimately, that's a picture of deliverance that is available to us in salvation. God, I can't do it in my own strength. I'm a sinner in need of your salvation. And the Bible says when we admit that, that we're surrounded on all sides and we believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He can, we confess our sins and we ask him to be the Lord of our life, he who knew no sin covers our sins. And we can be part of the family of God. That's the starting point of breakthrough for somebody in this place. And before today's out, I want you to say, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I want to be a child of God. For others, you're a child of God. Man, you're in need of a breakthrough. I pray that this message has encouraged you today. I want to do something just a little bit different. We did this in the first service. I want everybody to reverently stand. We're only going to take a moment here. But we're going to do some, something a little bit different today. Because I feel like in this place, there are some folks that are going through a valley. Maybe it's physical, emotional, mental, relational. I don't know what the valley is. You're in the middle of a, a battle. And I believe we could take just a few moments and turn this entire place into a prayer room. Because we're family here, right? Hey, we don't all have it together. And if we're not going through a valley, we're going to be going through at some point. And so right now, I want to make this place into a prayer place for just a few more moments. And I want you to be bold enough. I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head. No secrets here. If you're bold enough to say, man, I'm going through a valley. I don't care if it's mental, physical, or emotional, whatever. I'm going through a valley. I just want to be included in a prayer. I need God to show up in his power. I need his promises revealed once again. I want you to be bold enough to raise your hand and just keep it up for a moment. Just don't, don't, don't put it down. Now, there's a lot of you, a lot of you. I want somebody that is around you, you say, man, I know what it's like to be through that valley. Some of you, maybe you're holding hands with somebody who's raising their hand. I want us to find somebody to pray. Be bold enough. If you're a Christ follower and you'd be willing to do that, find somebody with their hand lifted up all over this place. Let's try our very best to get everybody having somebody to pray with. Keep your hands up. Begin to move right now if you're willing to do that. Begin to move. Begin to move all over this place. I want you to find somebody to pray with. Two or three people gathered together. If you see somebody without their hand, their hand raised, no one praying with them, reach over, grab a hold of them right over here in the middle. Some other folks begin to move, begin to move. Now, you don't have to know their need, but right now as a family, we're going to do some family business, and we're going to pray breakthrough on their behalf. Again, if you see somebody, go and pray with them right now. There's power in agreement. There's power in prayer. Right now, Heavenly Father, I pray as we join our voices, our faith with these individuals, we don't know what all they are facing. We don't know the battle. We don't know the, the valley that they're going through. But we know a God who is a God of power. And right now, we proclaim power over their situation. Father, we proclaim the promises of God. Your word is yes. Your word is amen. Your word is so be it. And so, Father, physically, I pray that you would heal. Emotionally, you would deliver. 
Father, I pray for financial breakthroughs. God, I pray for valleys that seem like it is impossible that, God, you would show yourself powerful on their behalf. Lord God, we don't have to understand it all, but we listen to your plan. Right now, you're revealing your plan, an action step. And we will be obedient to whatever that is, the phone call that needs to be made. The step of faith, the step of action that needs to be stepped out into. We will step into what you call us to do. Father, right now, somebody's going to learn to praise you before, during, and after the battle as you fight on their behalf. God, they're going to be reminded of the power of praise. Father, I release fear over somebody in this place. I don't know who that is, but fear, fear be gone. Fear be gone because God is faithful. Fear be gone in the name of Jesus because God is faithful. Father, right now, release depression over someone, anxiety over someone. You're a God of power, and you always Reveal your promise. Now, Father, we take this moment and we proclaim victory. We proclaim victory in the name of Jesus. We proclaim blessing after the battle. Does not mean that we will not go through something, but it means we have one who is faithful right there in the middle with us and we love you and we praise you and we thank you for it in Jesus name everybody say a big amen